welcome back to the extras. Hope you've had a moment just to kind of chill and uh, refresh. Uh, Maybe it's a different day. You know, it's the same day for us. We're still sitting here in Sam's office on a, a fairly warm Wednesday. But whatever yes. you've been doing since you last listened, hope God has been blessing you richly and using it to make you more like His son. That's it. That's it. Uh, we're going to just plow along. We're talking predestination. Uh, we're thinking election. We've done some work in clarifying what this doctrine does and doesn't mean. Um, now we sort of want to work out well, how does this whole idea of God's providence and God's predestining will fit in with some of the other passages in the Bible. Mm. Um, so uh, here's the first one for you, Jack. Can the real human choices with human responsibility also be seen in Genesis 3 with the fall? Yeah, I'd say yes, absolutely. So this is a great place. You see Genesis 3, you see uh, Adam and Eve there in the garden. They're entrusted with this decision, right? God says, you know, if you eat from the tree on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they are held responsible for what they do. Eve eats it, Adam eats it. God says, because you ate it, you will, you will die. You see the curse unfold there. So yes, absolutely. It's another passage we could have pointed you to show that, yeah, humans are entrusted with real decisions and held responsible for them. Okay. There's a bit more going on with Adam and Eve and a few other questions about them. So we'll chuck a couple other ones in here. Um, Sam, someone's asked, was the fall predestined? And why, if so, why did God allow sin in the first place? Yeah, and so here we start to get into, I guess, how does this kind of... Um, we, we're going to start thinking about the morality of God in mm. all of this. Um, and, and because the question behind the question here is, well, does that mean that God is somehow standing behind evil? Yeah. Uh, is God responsible for the fall? Is God the wicked one? Um, did he plan this bad thing? Um, and if so, why? And here is, I, I think the, the short answer in, in my mind is, yes, the fall was part of God's um, predetermined plan for the world mm. um, because God had elect people before the creation of the world, people who would trust in Jesus, which implies that God f was fully aware that sin would, would occur. Uh, it was part of his plan, and then his plan was to send his son to be the sacrifice, to save sinners from their, their from his wrath and punishment, and be brought under his lordship again and f spend eternity with him. That was all part of God's predetermined plan. Yeah, I mean, like Acts 4, which we looked at in Sunday, shows us that. If, if the cross was, according to the foreordained will of God, then the fall has to be as well because Jesus came to die for sinners. That's so right. Sin had to be part of the plan. That, absolutely. Um, which then, I mean, that, that you might be sitting there thinking, well, that raises a whole lot of other questions, and mm. fair enough. Um, this, the question that's here is, well, why did God allow sin in the first place? And I think it's really important to say that whenever God... God does reign and rule even over evil. We, we gave the verse from Lamentations 3, 37 mm. on the, uh, um, in the sermon, you know, is it not from the mouth of the Lord that both good and evil come? Yeah. Uh, who, who can have it speak? You know, who can have it happen if God has not expressly commanded it? Both, both things come from God. But in what manner does God stand behind evil things? And, and I think as you start digging into this question, and it is a complex question that we need to kind of carefully consider, but I think where we come to is that God does stand behind evil, but he stands behind evil in a different way to how he stands behind good. I think logically God must stand behind evil, mm. for otherwise you have some greater force within the universe, within creation, that is free and able to exert itself upon reality in a way that God is not in control of. Yeah. Uh, which at that point gives you a, a force more powerful than God, so it should be God. Mm. Um, 
and uh, theologically that, that that idea is dualism as if there was kind of a good you know, this, is gods. The, this is the Star Wars kind of you know there's there's the, the light side and the, the light side. and the dark um, yeah. you know um, this is different different versions of, of spirituality pick up on this idea that's not Christianity it's not mm. that the devil is just as powerful as God and they're in this kind of long long running arm wrestle to see which one's going to kind of prevail in the end in fact Job chapter 1 even the devil needs God's permission in order to tempt God but yeah. perhaps there's a really good example because what is the, the devil's will in that moment is to, to show Job up as a phony and as a, as a non-faithful imposter God's will in that moment is to give Job an opportunity to show just how faithful he is mm. so God's will in that very wicked moment you know the, the death of Job's family and the destruction of all his possessions and lifestyle God has a good intent to show Job's faithfulness the devil has a wicked intent uh, and which is to torment and uh, and to dishonor God, torment Job and dishonor God. Both, it's a bit like Joseph and the brothers, isn't it? God has a good will. The brothers have a bad will. God intends for good. The devil intends for bad. There's two wills operating in the one moment. And perhaps you can say the same thing about Adam and Eve um, mm. and the fall. What's God's good will in all of this? Well, I think come to Romans um, and uh, you start to see that God's plan is actually to, to make us not just creatures any longer, but actually co-heirs with Christ. That's, yeah, that's the children. language um, of, of Romans chapter 8. Adopted mm. children, co-heirs with Christ, sharers in the glory of God. And so actually where human beings end up after, so we, it's not just Back to the to creation. Then there was a song we used to sing on that front, you know. Um, <laughs> back to back the to garden. the garden. You remember that? Yeah. Um, we're not just. I mean, theologically that's true, but we're not just going back to how it was at creation, where God rules over created beings. We are actually caught up into the very Godhead itself and become co-heirs with Christ. You know, which mm. is a a much higher ending point than we ever began with, and uh, something we don't deserve, and a pure work of grace but all good in God's view yeah. uh, what was Adam and Eve's in, intent and will and the snake's will in that moment well it was to dishonor God and to um, find autonomy and so there were there was the one act two wills God's good will and ours and the devil's bad will mm. um, but that's what we're seeing right throughout scripture that's a long answer but hopefully yeah. that captures it up there's a lot in there but that's yeah beautifully captured yeah okay let, let's keep going um uh, didn't Adam and Eve have free will? Yeah, this is a, a really good question. I mean, we talked a little bit, a bit about free will on our last episode as well. Mm. Uh, and in that sense that we're talking about there, Adam and Eve's will, I'll talk just about Adam just for convenience. So Adam's will, I think, is the same as our will in that, no, Adam wasn't free to decide whatever he wanted. He had uh, God's sovereignty operating as well. So our wills are never free to thwart God's plan. So we're not utterly free as if, we could do anything and decide anything we wanted. So Adam has a real will, I would say. There is, I think, a difference, though, between Adam's will as it was at creation and our human wills now uh, as, as fallen human beings because, in a sense, Adam was... Well, I mean, let's talk about us first now. For, you know, for non-Christian people now, uh, we, are, we are not free to not sin. You could put it that way. You know, mm. that's the kind of language of Romans 6, right? We're enslaved to sin. Like, we are mm. we are captives to sin. Our wills are in bondage, is the way that theologians have, have, have often talked about it. So in that sense, we don't have free will because we're not free to, to, to do what God wants and to respond to Him rightly. You know, Romans 8, you know, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Mm. So that's one very real sense in which our wills are not free. We can't do the right thing. We, we always sin. We, we, we don't see God. You know, in that sense, our wills are captive. 
Adam's will was not captive in that way. So in the garden, Adam was free not to sin. Uh, you know, he was free to sin. We clearly see that's because that's what ended up happening. He ate the fruit. But there was no, you know, there was nothing wrong with Adam's heart that meant he had to disobey God and, and, and eat that fruit. Like in the moment where he had that, you know, where he was, he was holding the piece of fruit out to him, he had a very real decision. Uh, and, and he, not in, you know, in the same way that we are uh, bound to sin, he was not. Um, now, I mean, how does that work if, if God had ordained that the fall would happen. Like, that's mm. where it gets pretty tricky to yep. reason through, isn't it? And I think the way I think about it is, um, in the in the grand scheme of things, like, in God's plan, well, like, yes, Adam was going to eat the fruit because God had ordained that the fall would happen, and Adam's not responsible for that. But in the moment of decision, there's no... It's not like God was forcing Adam's hand. Like, he had mm. a very real decision. He could have chosen either way. From his point of view, like, as a human being with a will that was intact, he could have chosen either and he chose to disobey God. He made that real choice. Even if God ultimately is the one who had ordained that would happen, God made a really real choice to sin. That's yeah. how I'd put that together. Yeah, and, and I think we, yeah, that, that's really helpful. Um, it is tricky, and this is where you've got to hold those two things together, and we keep going, but if it's one, it's not the other, and these are the two premises that we've been talking right throughout the previous episode and this episode as well, uh, that both things are true. God is completely sovereign, and human beings are making real decisions. But that is a little bit different to us saying human beings have free will per se mm. um, because we, we've sort of steered away from that language purposefully so um, because our view is um, from reading the scriptures that, that the Bible doesn't lay out a, a sense of total free determinism um, that, mm. that human beings have that, but rather within um, a system that is governed by God's sovereignty, human beings are able to truly do what they want. Yeah. So Adam did absolutely what he wanted. You and I do absolutely what we want. And yet we do so within a world that is determined um, by by God's sovereignty. We, we don't have total power of self-causation mm. um, at, at that point. And yet we, we, what we do flows truly from what we want desire and prefer um, yeah. and, and so none of us will ever say well i, I didn't really want to do that mm. you, of course you did uh, <laughs> and, and of course adam did yeah. um, but god god remains in control of of his universe yeah i mean that's probably a good point of this next question because what if someone did really want to you know repent um this question says it was mentioned in the talk Someone maybe wanting to know Jesus and repent and become a Christian, but they, they couldn't do it because God didn't want them to. We said that kind of person wouldn't exist. But how does this line up with Hebrews twelve seventeen, which talks about Esau and the taking away of his inheritance? In particular, at the end of this verse, it says, Even though Esau sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Mm. And this person saying, it seems like Esau wanted to repent, but couldn't. How does that work with God's sovereign mercy and human decision making? Yeah, it's tricky. I think Paul is is it's not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, um, is uh, using the story of Esau there to make a bigger point. I think, mm. and the point is, and I wonder, I think what what is going on here is that the writer is making a distinction between remorse um, and regret versus repentance. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to paraphrase, like, feeling bad about sin is yeah. not the same as repenting That's exactly right. And and you, you can cry and be deeply upset about what you've done and just feel like, oh, my gosh, the consequences of what I've done, I've, I've forsaken my birthright and I've lost the blessing. And uh, But that is that is different, I think, to repentance. Um, 
there's also the sovereign thing. I mean, we know from from being readers of Genesis that even before the baby was born, that God had made a decree. Um, we're given that insight as readers. Um, obviously, Esau doesn't have that insight mm. that we as the readers get as he's just living out his life. But he really did want the bowl of soup that he gave up his birthright for, and he, um, he really didn't care about the, the, the birthright and the blessing that w- would have been his. Mm. Um, he, but at the same time, God's sovereign will is operating such that Um, the one that God has chosen gets what God wants them to have. Yeah. I think another really helpful illustration of this is um, Judas. So Matthew 27, uh, when Judas, verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, Judas was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Mm. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Yeah. And they replied, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. Yeah. So Judas was clearly Full gutted about what he'd done. For, you know, he has the, the prick of his conscience. He, he, yeah. He's guilty, he's remorseful. And yet, John also tells us that Judas is the son of destruction. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we take it that uh, Judas repented and um, was kind of sorry for his sin in such a way that he you know, repented of it and turned away from it and turned to Christ unto salvation. Yeah. I take it this is Judas's conscience condemning him and yet uh, this remorse isn't the kind of grief that leads to repentance. It's yeah. it's guilt and it's grief and ultimately he's condemned with it. Yeah. I mean, to bring that together, this is a long answer again, but um, <laughs> another place to bring it together, 2 Corinthians 7 is really helpful. Paul's talking about his letters to the Corinthians. He sent them a real harsh letter that, you know, they, they really felt, oh, like, man, this is a huge rebuke. And Paul talks about two kinds of grief. He talks about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Yet now I'm happy that I sent you this hard letter, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So I think Paul says there's a way to feel bad about what you've done, but that doesn't actually move you to yeah. repent and be forgiven. It's just you yep. just feel guilty and you're condemned by that. Yeah. But the prick of the conscience that actually drives us to God to turn from it to, to find life is a different thing. Yeah. And that's probably what's going on with Esau, I think. And just as an aside, like, hey, while we're going long, let's go long. Um, <laughs> Indeed. I think that's just worth noting as part of the Christian life that the gospel is not feel bad and trust Jesus. Mm. It's repent and trust Jesus. And so when you sin, it's, it's not like, oh, I feel really bad about that. I feel upset. I've disappointed myself. I feel bad about myself. That's not repentance. Mm. That's remorse and guilt and regret. Uh, repentance is uh, that feeling leading to a change of life and a, and a decision to turn your life around and obey Jesus yeah. rather than keep on doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. a turning to. It's a turning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Yeah, let's Next question. Uh, God says he wants all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, this person points to. And yet, clearly not, <laughs> I guess because of predestination. Um, uh-huh. And then as a follow-up, isn't God meant to show no partiality? Yeah. And so therefore, does predestination mean God is showing yeah. partiality, playing favorites? Yeah, God wants all to be saved. What do we make of that? I mean, there's a range of verses. Um, 1, uh, 1 Timothy 2 is a good one um, that, that you could pick on. Um, there's other ones. God takes no, no delight in the death of the wicked. Mm. Um, God wants nobody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. And so therefore is being patient. There are mm. a range of verses that kind of capture up this idea. Yeah. My take on it is, is that each of these verses is saying something very true. Um, yeah. And they're laying it out from the human responsibility point of view. The mm. offer of the gospel is that nobody need perish. Yeah. Everyone who comes to Jesus can be saved. God so loves the world that he gave his only son. 
from our perspective, again, not having access to the particular decree of God as to which individuals are elect and have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, we don't know that. What we know is the gospel says that anyone who turns can be saved. And so if you're listening to this and you're not yet a Christian, the offer to you is trust in Jesus and you will be saved. Um, and, and that is what God wants for you. He wants you. He says, why would you perish? Um, mm. So do, here is the way to salvation. Take it. And I think that is absolutely true. Um, yeah. But that is a different thing to go, I know the, 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 as if we were to say, I know the exact decreed will of God that... I know each name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We, we yeah. don't. Um, and we will only find that out on, on the Judgment Day and we will see those whom God had elected from before the creation of the world. But that doesn't make it any less true that God wants all to be saved. Yeah. Does that help? It does, yeah. I mean, t- 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 that verse in particular, like, I think it's worth drilling down to, into it because it is in some ways the clearest expression mm. of that um, side of it. And you got to wrestle with it. Like, yeah, 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And, I mean, it's worth just kind of, at face value, like, that can't literally mean God will save all people because we know that that's not the case. We know that Jesus said there'll be sheep and goats. Yeah. So you got to find some way, I guess, of saying, well, what is Paul saying then? Is it that there's a different kind of wanting here? Is it that God wants all in this kind of general offer, like this is his revealed will, which has been made clear to the world? Yes, like, all can come. That's, the, you know, that's what you've been saying. Mm. Um, versus what God will, will, wills as in actually decides his will of decree. Um, the other option is sometimes uh, people will talk about what does all mean? Does God want all people without exception to be saved as in every single human being? Or is God saying God wants all people to be saved as in it's this broad thing that's addressed to the whole world? All can mean this really broad, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a category thing. It's not like God only wants Jewish people to be saved. It's, you know, it's not that God only wants redheads to be saved. Hmm. Um, God wants all people, as in every kind of possible person, to be saved. That's another way that you hmm. can take it as well. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's, and Romans 11 is going to, um, Romans 11 has the language in it uh, at the very end that God has handed all over to mercy so that he can, so all over to um, sin so that he can have mercy on them all. That's in Romans 11, 32. Hmm. Um, the, the, the idea there is that not that it's not universalism that every person gets saved. Clearly yeah. not. We've just been asking the question why aren't, why isn't everybody getting saved? Yeah, so right. the answer is not. Hey, everybody does get saved. Yeah. Um, it's using the, the the word all in a, in a different way there. Mm. Yeah. So, all right. Good question. We've got our next kind of chunk of questions are all theology questions. So yeah. like getting our doctrine straight. Mm. Um, and uh, we're loving these. They're, they're excellent. So, Jack, are free will and predestination the only options um for example have you heard of molinism or middle knowledge and they've given us a wikipedia uh link here um best place to learn your theology no it's not uh, <laughs> right. it's not the place to go for theology I give you definitions i guess yeah sure um, but um, tell us about molinism jack what, what is that yeah i mean samuel told me before you wrote your 30 year doctrine essay about this is that right um, i did so when this question came in i went yeah i have <laughs> yeah um and i i've interacted with it a little bit as well so maybe i'll kind of give a definition and you can help us think a bit more yeah. about it yeah, yeah. So, so Molinism, um, the guy, his name is Moliner, he was like a, is it um, 17th century Roman Catholic theologian or something like that. Um, So the idea here is, uh, Molinism is not really different to the idea of predestination, it's more a particular flavour of predestination, and Molinism is a way of trying to reconcile these two truths, that God predestines people to salvation, but also human wills really matter. So it's kind of like a species of, um, I guess, what we're talking about with predestination. Yeah. And the, the Molinist says um, God has middle knowledge, which means 
God knows not just like everything that will happen and everything that will not happen, but the stuff in the middle, which is everything that could possibly ever happen. So the idea is, you know, God knows every single human being who ever lived. He knows what you, Sam, would do if you were, you know, waking up in Carlingford on a Wednesday morning. And he also knows what you would do if you were, if you happen to be on the other side of the world. Like, you know, no matter what kind of situation, mm. God knows what would happen and what we would decide. Yep. So the way that God predestines some people to salvation is he orchestrates the circumstances of their life to exactly the circumstances which he knows we will respond to him in faith in. That's right. So God knows exactly how to set up Jack's life so that when Jack comes to the situation, oh, I, this is how I'll respond when such and such a person says such and such a phrase and I'll be saved. Yep. So what it does is it preserves the, the total freedom of the human will. God right. never acts directly on my will to force me to do something. God just, God just, just sets up the play and then I have to kind of make my decision. So it's a way of God gets to choose people and human autonomy, if mm. you like, is preserved. Is that a fair summary? That's absolutely it. And so it's the idea that God knows all the possible outcomes and he then actualizes just those possibilities which are necessary for him to fulfill his purposes. Mm. Um, and nothing, therefore, nothing surprises him. And so it, it's trying to remove any kind of risk in creation, but still presume that humans are making genuinely free choices yeah that that's the that's the goal of it yeah the problem with it is i think um and i mean william lane craig is a is a modern kind of um the famous apologist proponent of this um this is his view of how these things come together i don't hold this view i don't think it is um ultimately biblical and i think the problem with it is not that god of course god can conceptualize every possibility of every you know pathway he is eternal and Mm. you know so big that he can you know he can compute all of that data yeah um the problem becomes uh that it it leaves things down to probability um and and what comes you know it's it's most likely that jack will do this but if Mm. jack is genuinely free in those circumstances he could genuinely do the opposite of what God um, kind of was hoping when God orchestrated the circumstances. Yeah. Because if you're holding true freedom for Jack in that moment, um, then it's only a probability at best. Yeah, that God can Jack... never 100% guarantee he'll get the outcome he wants. Exactly. And yeah. so at that point, um, God becomes a God of probability rather than the infallible God that Scripture kind of describes mm. him to be. Um, and so... It's trying to protect something that I don't think Scripture actually argues for, which is total free will. Uh, And I think at its um, the problem with it becomes that God is no longer infallible. God could Mm. be wrong. Um, God has, you know, um, and so things could happen that God didn't expect because humans have genuinely free choices. And it's putting something in creation that is outside of the sovereign will of God, i.e. the human will, um, which makes that thing more powerful than God. So it comes back to what you are saying before, if God's not totally sovereign, if there's something else that's outside his sovereignty, well then, is he really God? Because there's this dualistic other thing. It's like everything in the world, God's in control of it, except the human mind. That's the the little island outside his sovereignty, which ultimately threatens his sovereignty. Exactly. Yeah. So problematic in my view. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We'll keep going. Uh, Someone else has asked, In salvation, isn't it true that we are dead in our sins and transgressions and that God has to make us alive? This person points us to Ephesians 2. Yes. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, So, isn't God then the active one in salvation? This person says, I'm of the view that in salvation, God takes up the active role and we take the passive role. He puts his spirit in us and makes us alive. 
And isn't it only then, after he puts his spirit in us, that we can then put our trust in Jesus? Mm. And I take it this person saying, isn't there then therefore kind of an overriding thing in God's sovereignty that, you know, is it really true that humans are totally responsible if we take the passive role to God's active? Um, yeah, I mean, what they've laid out there is absolutely true. Mm. Like, I would agree with every line of that yeah. um, question at one level. It's just that, that what Scripture keeps saying is it's both and. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Of course it's true that God is the active one um, drawing a person to himself by the power of his Holy Spirit and it is at every point a miracle that we praise and thank God for. That's mm. absolutely true. And yet at the same time, it's absolutely true that that person is responding genuinely to the gospel message, is really convicted to the heart, really is uh, confessing and repenting and then really is trusting Jesus. Those two things are never in... Um, they're never in opposition to each other. It's the both and mm. thing going on. And um, scripture upholds both because otherwise then, well, I never have to respond because God will yeah. just call me home and I'll just sit here and do nothing because mm. God will have me one way or the other. Um, that's just not the way the Bible puts it out, that you are called repent and believe, says Jesus. You know, the kingdom of God's at hand, quick, repent, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that this, I mean, it links back to the Adam stuff from before. Like Adam was free not to sin, like mm. I said. Uh, we as fallen people are not free not to sin. We can't choose God on mm. our own. And the doctrine of regeneration is so crucial here that the Spirit gives us a new heart. And what happens there is that we are enabled to respond rightly to God. So yeah, it's totally God takes the active role. God takes the initiative. It starts with God. We can't do it without God. Mm. But then we do it yeah. with God's enabling. It's not that God overrides us so that we choose Him. It's that God renovates our hearts by the Spirit so that we... Choose yeah. That's right. Yeah, both work together. Yeah. So, Jack, uh, another angle on this is how does the enemy, I take it that's the devil, really pose a risk given the idea of predestination? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, you pointed us to Joe before. Was that this episode or last? I don't know. One of them. <laughs> We've been to Joe. We've been going on for a while now, yeah. <laughs> um, Job's just the great example here. Uh, God is in sovereign control over Job's life. Uh, the devil is there prowling around looking for someone to, to test God. You know, let's let's take everything away from Job and he'll curse you to your face, God. You see that Satan has to ask God for permission to touch one hair on Job's head. You see how God grants that permission. But again, like you see both these things working together. God and the devil have, have a different will in the testing of Job. The devil wants to test him to prove that, you know, God's not as good as he thinks and Job doesn't really love him. And God allows this to happen because he knows that Job... Dojo will prove true. Mm. Two different intents operating. God works through means. Um, yep. In a sense, it kind of broadens out this whole thing. It's not just that God is sovereign and humans are responsible. You've also got uh, the enemy in the mix as well. God mm. is sovereign and humans are responsible, and the devil is responsible and also has some authority. Like, kind of complicates the picture in a way. Yeah. But the thing that's true at the end of it is God's still utterly in control. He uses means. And, I mean, the other thing to say for us, just practically, we don't we don't know always what's going on. I mean, that's part of the whole point of Job as well. Like, Job never finds out that it's... The devil the was devil operating. Was testing him, we, yeah. as the reader, know that. Job was just like, oh my gosh, my cattle are all dead. Oh, yeah. my kids! And he says, know? God, why'd you let this happen? And, you know, yeah. we get that too. So, yeah. like, and we're warned to beware the devil prowling around looking like a lion, mm. looking for someone to devour. Um, yeah, so the enemy doesn't pose any ultimate risk because God's in control, and yet... God, you know, gives the devil authority to test us and to harangue us, and that's that's something that we got to beware and be warned about. Nice. That all goes together like that. Yep, great. All right, uh, coming on again. Uh, someone's asked a really heartfelt, big question: uh, Is it possible for for stillborns and for babies and young children to be predestined? Um, 
the babies who, who die the babies yeah. who die yeah I mean yeah I just want to you know if there's someone who's, who's faced the death of a child that's, that's a heart-wranging thing and um, yeah it's just, just it's a tragedy death at all, all points but particularly of an infant or a stillborn it's, mm. it's hard and you know we've had friends walk through that and um, and there's a grief that comes with that so I always want to sort of tread around these questions not in a purely academic thing not knowing who's who sent this in yeah. um, recognise that there can be real kind of um, grief here and we just want to say we love you and, and God loves you and um, mm. let, but at the same time we'll have a go at trying to sort of think theologically about this question but just doing it with a, with a sense of, of um, care I hope yeah. um, where um, where the scripture puts the electing work of God is, is before birth mm. um, and I mean Paul as he writes about his own conversion um, in Galatians um, talks about God choosing him from his mother's birth. Um, mm. See if I can uh, from his mother's womb. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, where is Galatians? Before Ephesians. That's, that's my problem there, Jack. Um, Gentiles eat. You don't eat Gentiles. They, thank you. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, Galatians one fifteen. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, um, yeah, literally from from his mother's womb is is um, is the mm. Greek in there, and I think that the, the newer NIV has that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Is it possible for a, a, a baby, a, a, an unborn, to be predestined? Yes, mm. I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, the difficulty for us comes if there is a stillbirth or a child dies before they're at an age where they're able to articulate their faith. Um, mm. We never get to see them articulate the faith and so have that comfort of saying, well, they, they called on the name of Jesus. And yeah. that, that can be what's really hard for us. Mm. Um, but I take it, um, given what, what we understand about the way that uh, God, God works, and we were talking about this last week a little bit. Um, I think in our episode, um, yeah, households. God has a particular love for Christian households, and mm. the promise is for you and your children. We were responding to a question around that, yeah. um, and so I think Christian parents can have a great sense of confidence um, if they were to lose a child, tragic though that would be, mm. that that child is in glory with the Father. Um, yeah, we don't have again, we don't have access to the decretal will of God, but I think we can have confidence. Um, and that being said, we can always have confidence that God, we will not get to heaven and go, oh my gosh, God, that was so unfair, mm. um, what, what you did there with that, with that child. Um, yeah. We will come there and say, God, you're so fair, you're so just, you're so right and so good and praise you for what you've done. Um, I, I don't know, there, there's a few thoughts from me, Jack. Yeah, totally right and I'd echo it all. Yeah, God is a God of mercy and in those tragic circumstances, we entrust our children to God and his gracious mercy, knowing that... He is the God who sent Jesus to say, let the little children come to me. Um, he he is, embraces children with open arms and certainly children of believers, I think, can have confidence that, that that is how God holds out his promises to us and our families. Yeah, awesome. We've got one more before a break and we might have to hit an episode three, Jack. We may, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is good stuff. We love yeah. your questions. Awesome. You said that only the predestined can come to Jesus and be saved, but isn't that unfair if one never asked to be born? And then fall in the category of those not predestined to be saved. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just trying to um, pass the question again. Um, only the predestined can come to Jesus. Yes. So isn't it unfair if one never asked to be born? In a sense, this is the Romans nine question again. The yeah. the object of, of wrath who says, well, why did you make me like this? And uh, part of the answer is, it's not up to you. Again, this is God's choice. It's God's world. He's the one who's in control. I think another side of it is. Um, this is, uh, is it tangential? No, this is important. Um, creation is good. God, God, like, as we keep saying, it's a common grace thing. God shows his, his love to all. He shows his, his mercy to the righteous and the unrighteous. And 
that even fallen people get to exist, I think is ultimately a good thing. Mm. It's an expression of God's goodness. I think that it's starting to get almost a little philosophical, but I think mm. the Bible holds up to us that truth that existence is better than non-existence. Yeah. And that people get to experience even just the glimpses of God's goodness in this world is part of his love for them, part of his, his love for this world as it is. Um, will people in... I mean, this is to put a fine point, is it? Will people one day in hell say, you know, God, this isn't fair. Why, you know, I would have rather not be born. Um, I don't think people there will... It's not like God is saying, well, you know, you're here because I didn't choose you. God's saying, you're here because you rejected me and you mm-hmm. wanted to do what you wanted and you um, you sinned and you rebelled against the king and you wanted all of that. So even if we might now be able to imagine that someone, you know, wouldn't want that, I think that the reality is that deep down we, we don't want God and that is ultimately what we're held accountable for. And that is fair. And God is fair in all of that, yeah. Yeah, I, anything there? I, I think I, I fully agree in terms of the fairness of God and, and I think come come the final day we, we will understand. I, I think though that one little maybe pushback I might yeah, have okay, is... Sure. is, is um, Jesus speaks, you know, particularly though, you know, on his curse on those who cause one of the little ones uh, to, to go astray, and he says about them it would be better for them if they'd not been born. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. And so uh, there is a sense, I think, that, um, but I think at that point, he's not making so much a philosophical question about the mm. value of life, but more about the severity of judgment uh, yeah. in, in that particular moment. Um, and, and similarly, when, when, you know, Lazarus and the rich man in that parable, the, the rich man says to the Lord, you know, go and tell my brothers because, you know, be, so that they don't come to this place, there's this sense that the, the torment of hell is so real and bad that, mm. that it would be better not to go there. Um, yeah. do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, so, um, but I think, like you said, that it's getting into philosophical questions that I'm mm. not sure that the Bible fully answers for us. Um, but, but I think I would agree big picture in the sense that um, we, we will get to that point and be convinced that it is wholly just what God has done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to come back and wrestle with other big philosophical questions later. We're going to do an even deeper dive into that whole question of, you know, is God evil if he allows evil? Um, he's not, you know, spoiler alert, but we're going to come back and wrestle with that one. And next time we're going to get into some of the application questions about all this as well. Awesome. If you stay with us thus far, good on you. Um, well we, we, we hope this has been helpful. Like, there is so much to wrestle with here, and it's deep. And we hope that this does push you deeper into wrestling with God and with his word and with who he is. Because... These are the things that that life is made of. So, good on you. Keep going. We'll be back later. See you shortly.